Well, like I said, we'll be in Genesis 18 and 19. We'll do our best to get through both of these tonight. They go together, so it's kind of hard to separate them. Um, we are still waiting for the promise of the new baby. Um, Isaac is going to be born, and they're excited for that. Um, but not yet. They're still in that holding pattern. And several times God has shown up and reminded them of the promise that he's given them. He's going to do this again, but he's on his way someplace else. It'll be the Lord and two angels that are going to be passing by Abraham's tent and Sarah's tent and all the other tents. They have a lot of employees, <laughs> over 300 uh, men that were able to carry a sword. So there was families attached to those guys as well. So a little tent city there in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so that's where we pick up our story here. They're They've been given the promise, they're still waiting, and believed it for the most part, um, but it still hasn't happened yet. Remember, they've got more time to wait. Um, they kind of jumped the gun with Hagar, um, so they've got this little, this little boy running around, uh, Ishmael, who was not the promised child, but is still Abraham's son. And so that's where we pick up our story. It says in verse 1, then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth tree speaking of Abraham, um, of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door of the heat, in the heat of the day, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if, you've now found favor, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and Rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by, and as much as you have come to your servant. That word bowed there is worship. So he does recognize who it is. There must have been something about these guys that, um, who knows, maybe they glowed. You know how they kind of show up, and they're a little overwhelming sometimes. But um, there's something about them, and he knows that, and he's excited the Lord appears to us at different times in our lives in more powerful ways than in other ways. Um, um, for the most part, we go day in and day out with, uh, with the usual relationship with God. You read his word in the morning, you, you muddle through the day. Some days you were really on fire for the Lord and it really seemed to all click and other days it didn't, you know. Um, and then you have those moments where God appears, so to speak. He may come in a powerful way, filling you with the Spirit, and overwhelming you with emotion and with joy and with tears, and uh, worshiping is, is automatic. This is one of those times for him. This is one of those times where Abraham's just in the heat of the day, sitting in the shade as they did. They'd take a little break until it got a little cooler in the desert, and then they go back out to work, doing whatever. And it's in a time where he's just looking down, kind of relaxing and trying to stay cool the best he can, waiting for the breeze to hit him again. And here comes the Lord with two of his guys. Two angels are with him. The gift of hospitality was just natural for these guys. It's what you do. Someone's coming by your tent. <laughs> it's a visitor, you know. We don't see many people around here except goats and sheep, you know. Um, so it's automatic. And, and of course, you're wearing sandals and it's gritty and dirty and there's nothing like a good foot bath, you know, in those kind of days. And those 
moments. We don't have those. Maybe if you wear Crocs, you know what I'm talking about. But for the most part, we have our shoes on and we're completely covered. But a, a good hot shower at the end of a long day is kind of the idea behind that. So let me wash your feet. Let's get your feet washed here. But please don't pass by. Don't leave. Don't just keep walking. They're on, they're on a quest. They're on a mission here. They're heading to Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going down to the valley. Um, and Abraham kind of intercepts them here and says, I want you to, I want you to stop. Um, they said, do as you have said. We agree to it. Go ahead. Well, it's not going to be just a foot washing. So Abraham hurried into the tent and to Sarah and said, Quick, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. So, I mean, that's, you think making meals are hard today, you know? Quick, grind up some grain. Really? You know? <laughs> I've been watching my wife make this sourdough uh, bread that she got some starter from, and it took her about, oh, I don't know, it seemed like three weeks before we actually got the first loaf. There was this process and that process, and there's refreshing the starter, and I'm like, I mean, honestly, honey, it's like three bucks for a loaf of bread. I don't mind going to the store anytime you get, you know, oh no, we got to do that. And then she said, once this starter's good, then the whole uh, kitchen's kind of filled with this bacteria. So it's going to be much easier next time. I'm like, now, wait a minute. What kind of bioterrorism do we have going on in our house here? But it was amazing. It was really good, really good bread. Um, you forget how long stuff takes to actually do, you know, it's, oh, I made this by... I just I made this myself. Well, that could mean I didn't go to Walmart and pick up a ready-made cake. I actually got the box off the shelf and mixed it with something, or it could mean a whole nother level of creation. And so, I mean, wow, this is a living calf running around. Quick, you know, we're going to have steak kind of thing. Okay, that's quite a process. He makes three, not four. Didn't make any for himself. I don't mean to make a big deal out of this, but this guy's so excited. He says, I'm not going to eat, but I'm going to make it. It's almost an offering is what it is. He's preparing an offering for him. I mean, it's not very often that you get a live meal with the Lord. You know, I bet some of us would love to have that. I love what he gets together here. I mean, talk about not kosher. He's got milk, he's got butter, and he's got this calf, which is like totally not kosher. It's, you cannot serve all those. So you go to Israel today, to this day, where there are hardly any believers over there. Hardly anybody is a true religious believer over there, even in God. It's like 90% atheists over there. You still can't go to a restaurant and have a glass of milk and a piece of meat. You can't. It's like completely illegal. You can have water. In fact, there's no milk in the building. It's got to be completely kosher. So for him to have this is just an amazing picture of what it looked like before the law. This is the relationship with God before the law. Yeah, we're going to have milk, we're going to have butter, we're going to have this calf, and we're going to have some bread, and we're just going to enjoy this meal together. And he sat under the tree, and, and he stood by them while they ate, which means he didn't. He just sat there watching them eat. How uncomfortable would that have been? Kind of awkward, I suppose. And, but boy, I can identify with that. As we were praying tonight, how many of you felt awkward? I'm, you don't have to raise your hand. I probably shouldn't put you on the spot like that. But it's, 
if you're not used to it, if it's not something you do every day, if it's not something, it, it can feel pretty awkward. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say out loud. I don't know what to say in front of other people. I don't want to sound dumb. I don't want to, and our relationship with God can sometimes be a little awkward sometimes if it's not familiar to us, if it's not something that we do every single day. And so our prayers can feel awkward or we just, I'm not praying at all. I just say it in my head and God knows and, and all that. And he, and he does, of course, of course he does. Um, there's a little awkwardness here, though, with Abraham as he's standing there watching them eat. You know, how's it taste? You know, guy, guy, sit down and eat with us. You know, that's no, okay. Can I get you some more? No, just, just sit down. But he doesn't. He doesn't. There's a lot of respect here. There's a lot of reverence. There's a lot of honor given to the Lord. He's not his buddy. He's not the man upstairs. He's not... Well, any of the things that can be said even today about the Lord. A lot of people talk about God in a, in a very interesting way, I should say, and even myself at times. Um, and I qualify it with, well, I'm sure he, he understands. He gets, he gets me. He understands my heart. He gets my... And then you read something like this, and you prepare a study to share with a bunch of people on a Wednesday night, and you read about Abraham's running out of his tent to go fall on his face before the living God to... Uh, beg him to stay, to prepare the absolute very best you can prepare for him, grabbing the young calf and the meal and, uh, and then not even feeling worthy to eat with him kind of thing. You know, It's different. It's different. It's a good place to be. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Now they've heard this before and they believed it. Maybe Sarah didn't hear it the first time. Maybe Abraham relayed the message to her saying, hey, by the way, God said that Ishmael isn't the one, isn't the chosen one. He was a, uh, something, a work of the flesh, but you're going to have a baby, Sarah. Maybe she just nodded because mm -hmm. she hears it for the first time herself from God while they're having this meal. And she says, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, pleasure, uh, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? How's that gonna happen? You know? And it means exactly what you think it means when she describes the pleasure. And I don't want to go into great detail, obviously, but she's talking about the physical aspect of it. How's that going to work? Am I going to have pleasure in my old age? I mean, that's, we don't even think that way anymore, you know? And she kind of laughed to herself. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, there's an exclamation point there, so I don't know how he said it. Well, I probably shouldn't elaborate on it. I'd like to think that he, well, I don't know, I don't know what I'd like to think, because I'm so far from this. You know, you read this stuff, and you try to, you try to put, and, and, and as I was reading the commentaries, even Pastor Chuck said, sometimes I like to make God out to be like me. And I know I do that. I know I do. Um, and I have to be careful to just leave it at his word. There's just an exclamation point there. So he said it loud. And he was emphatic. No, you did laugh. 
I'll leave it at there. I guess it's one of two ways. He either said, no, you did laugh, Sarah. I heard you. Or he said, no, you did laugh. I don't know which way it was. I really don't. But he wants to get a point across. She was afraid. The writer here knows that she was afraid. The writer makes sure that it's in God's word that she was afraid when she said that. I, I, I didn't laugh. So she lied out of fear. Like, I didn't know he could hear me. I didn't know he could read my thoughts because didn't, she didn't do it out loud. This was in her heart. She said within herself, how is this going to happen? But God knew all of it. Now, that's very disconcerting or it's very encouraging, depending on where, what you're thinking, right? Um, it's encouraging that God knows my needs. He knows my thoughts. Um, he knows my heart. He knows, well, there's absolutely nothing hidden in my life from him. Nothing. Whatever is hidden in your life from everybody else in your life, it certainly isn't hidden from God. And he still loves you and died on the cross for your sins and knows all of those things. Still wants to have a fellowship time with you. Still wants to have a relationship with you. Is encouraged, um, trying to encourage you. Um, But he also corrects us. He doesn't let it go undone. He doesn't let it slide. He doesn't let the lie slide. He doesn't let her comment inside of her heart slide. He's very honest with us and confronts her, whether that was with joy or whether that was with a stern warning. Either way, he didn't let it go. And I'm thankful for that. A lot of people just let things go. You know, it's just easier to be at peace. I'd rather not confront. I'd rather not make a point or make a a deal out of it. Let's just, oh, you know, I've got enough kind of thing. But when it comes to God, he knows, he knows that unbelief in Sarah's heart is what he's trying to get out of her heart. It's, it's part of the work. It's part of the lesson. Mike, I come home um, sometimes at lunchtime or one o'clock or something, and the kids are usually doing math at that time. Um, at the table, they're doing their math. And, and uh, I've made it a point to say, okay, I'm home. I, get, I do one of your problems, just one. You pick which one you want me to do, and I'll do the one, because that's how well, that's how I bribe him. That's, dad's, that's how dad gets his favor, right? So I said, I'll do one of your problems, you know. Oh, dad, dad, and then inevitably, you know what kids are. It's never enough. It's like, do another one. Did you do another one? Do this one too. Do this one. Like, no, 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 no. You know, Jenny's already given me the look over her shoulder. You like, know, no, no, you shouldn't even be doing the one. They need this. And I know that as a father. I know that the point is not to get the, the pages done for the day, which is their goal, I understand we're trying to teach them something and that they need to learn it. And if I do it all for them, then they're never going to learn it. And so God is trying to bring something out of Sarah, this unbelief. He's trying to bring belief into her. I want you to believe me when I tell you stuff, God says to her. No, you did laugh, Sarah. I didn't. I didn't. No, you did laugh, which means you didn't believe what I said. But I want you to know this. And he reiterates it. No, at the point of time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have, you're going to have a baby. He wants her to believe him. God wants us to believe him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to know, I'm not doing this because I'm mean. I don't have these thoughts or ideas about sin because I hate you and because I want what's best for you. You have to believe me. He's trying to build up their faith. How are we going to have the father of faith, Abraham, be the father of faith if he doesn't have faith? How am I ever going to be the man of God that I always prayed I would be? Oh, God, make me a man of God. Make me a woman of God. Make me a woman of faith. Make me a man of faith. 
he's got to get the unbelief out of me. I've got to stop laughing within myself or to myself. I've got to let him confront me. I've got to let him say, no, JD, you didn't think I could do it. You prayed that I could do it in front of everybody else out loud, but I know your heart. You didn't think I could do it. I am going to do it. And I want you to know that, you know, belief, faith. He wants it to increase in us. So they had their meal. He got them to stop. Now they're moving on. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Should I hide what we're about to do or should I tell him? Because I am trying to have a relationship with him. I did pick him. I did choose him so that he might know me and that he might teach his kids to know me. It's basically what he's saying. So should I hide this thing from him that we're about to do? This reminds me of the conversation he had in Genesis 1, you know, amongst themselves, amongst the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as creation is being made, you know, it says we and they and us and, and all these things, it's difficult. He's having this conversation with himself. Should we tell him? He decides to. And the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. This is got a bunch of doctrinal questions I've got here. What do you mean you don't know? What do you mean you have to go down there and have an eyewitness account? What is it? He's He's playing by the rules. He's playing by his own rules. One of the scriptures that I think are one of the most fascinating to me is, I have magnified my word above my name. My word, what I say, is far more important than my name. Now, I don't know what that means, except that when I tell you to do something or when I say it's going to happen, that's the focus. Not, not how you pronounce my name or whether you worship me or not. It's, it's, it's that you believe me. My word his word is prophetic. His word is factual. His word is truth. I want that to be magnified above my name because my name is that. Nobody has a good name or a good reputation in this world if their word isn't true, right? So I have to keep my word in order for my name to be kept. So I don't want you to just worship me because my name is Yahweh or because my name is Jehovah, however you pronounce it. I want you to worship me because you have faith, because you trust me. There's a disconnect today, I think, in the church where they worship Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Absolutely, of course. But it's his word. That's why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to believe me. So I'm going to have my son Jesus come down and live it out. But I, it's, it's watching him work. It's watching him do what he does, his ministry, the way he feels and loves and cares for the people around him, the sheep the way he washes their feet, the way he serves them. That's my word, become flesh. I want you to believe me. Just saying the name of Jesus doesn't do anything. It's not abracadabra. It's not a magical phrase that you can put at the end of your prayers to make it happen. 
It's the person who has faith in God. And that's what God's trying to build in all of us. Just what he's doing here with Abraham, he's trying to do in each one of us, trying to build our faith, remove our unbelief, so that his word is magnified. And of course, then his name is kept. No, you did laugh. Should I hide this from him? No. There's an outcry. Now we've had the flood. That was God's last mm, blanket extermination of sin. We have free will. That's a very difficult thing for people to grab a hold of. When we were made in the image of God, we have the ability to be disobedient to God. We have the ability to walk away from him, to worship him or to not. And as more and more people in the earth began to not, and we only have eight people left on the earth that did, God comes down and says, there's nothing left. We're going to read about unleavened bread here in chapter 19, but a a little leaven or a little yeast leavens the whole lump. You don't need a whole bunch of yeast to put in the bread dough. You just put a little bit in there and the rotting process begins. And he's concerned about that. He equates that to sin. And a little bit of sin in the world has now spread and permeated the whole earth. And so he brings this flood, but he also promised I'd never do that again. I'm never going to flood the earth again. So here's a pinpoint accurate eradication of sin. I'm not doing the world, but I am going to focus on this valley. If what I hear is true about these guys, then they need to go because it's going to spread. That's something that is hard for us to understand. It is until we understand we have free will and God's not going to usurp that will of ours. We choose to worship him. We choose to follow him. We choose to obey or disobey. That's all part of it. And if we choose not to, he's got no other choice than protect those who choose to worship him from us. And that's what he's going down to do. I'm going down to Gomorrah to see, is this really true? Are they that far gone? I'm going to be an eyewitness. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? He knows what they're going down to do. Not just to witness, but he's actually going to, He's going to judge him. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Okay, Abraham. So these three guys start walking away. This is Abraham's boldness. He steps in the path of the father, or Jesus. It's actually Jesus in the Old Testament. There's Jesus. Steps in the path. The other two angels go on. They're on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to go check it out. But he actually stops. The Lord says, now wait a minute. He actually has this conversation with him. Now that's some boldness. That's some love for people. Abraham knows what goes on down there. He knows very well what's happening down there. He also knows Lot is down there, and his wife and his kids are down there too. He's getting to think, now that now don't just wipe them all out, Lord. Don't, you don't want to do that. I mean, you're a righteous God, reminding him of all the things that God needs to be reminded of, right? But God doesn't get mad at him. God says, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, if there's 50. Now, he must have said it in such a way that 
Abraham wants to qualify it now because now he's got to come to a doctrinal understanding of this. So you won't kill him for 50. So watch him go through this process. It takes Abraham a long time to get to this place, but he goes through a very long process of, wait, you don't kill righteous people with wicked people. You just don't do that. So he thinks he's found a number 50. Now, um, the, the problem with Sodom, they've got a sin, several sins, and I'm going to read them to you. It's Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, that describes their sin. It has many symptoms that we'll also focus on tonight, but this is their sin. Look, this was the this is the prophet Ezekiel talking about Sodom. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. That's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what Ezekiel documents. Now, that is a common problem. As you've watched any society fail in our history, we've read history and we've seen all the, we like to pick on Rome because they're the, they're the easiest target. They're the closest ones to us. And so we watched Rome go through that struggle. And as they got to that place that Sodom did, careless ease, you know, a lot of money, a lot of, a lot of free time. I mean, they, they went all the way to they were wearing togas. I mean, they just wore pajamas all day long. Does that sound familiar? To where they had so much that they began to invent sin. And they began to come up with stuff to do. Romans describes this path of wrath that any nation can find themselves into. And starting in verse 18 of Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's step one. It's obvious there's a God. It's obvious there's a creator. There's way too much complexity. Now that we know about DNA, and we look about the programming that is done. It's a bunch of series of on-off switches through our DNA. Some are switched on, some are switched off. And depending on the configuration that you pick is what that cell is going to become. Who's flipping the switches? Who's telling the same cell? Every cell in your body has the exact same DNA, but some have some switches on, some have some switches off, and it changes what their function is going to be. That's That's unbelievable for just one of those switches to develop through evolution. Millions of years for one switch, and we have hundreds of thousands of switches in each strand. It's, 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 it's absolutely foolish to not know that there's a creator, to acknowledge the fact. And we've gotten to that point scientifically. Now they've moved to the, the atheists scientifically, have moved to the place now where, well, it got transferred from someplace else because obviously there wasn't enough time here to do what needed to be done on this earth if this was the, the beginning of life. So beginning of life happened someplace else and came here. And so that was step one. This is step two. And well, they're going to figure out real quick, there just isn't enough time at all for this to happen. And God says so in his word in this 
first step is we just will not have God. If we have God, that means we have laws, we have rules, we have someone we're responsible to, and I can't do what I want to do. All atheism is rooted in, I want to sin. I want to continue on doing what I want to do. That's where it comes from. Because if there is a God, if there is a creator, then I must submit to this God and I must believe him. So that's the first step in the decline of any civilization is to ignore the fact that it's very clearly seen and very much understood because they did not want to glorify him as God. And so then their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They began to worship the created as opposed to the creator. Therefore, God, fine, have it your way, also gave them up to uncleanness. That's something we really got to hold on to and meditate on. There comes a point when I say no to God one too many times and he gives me up to uncleanness, then fine. I've tried to protect you. I've warned you. I've warned you. I've warned you. I've tried to stop you, but you will not listen. And he gives them up to the uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So when we fall back here into where they're headed, into Sodom and Gomorrah, we understand from Ezekiel what their actual sin was. But we're going to see here in this next chapter, chapter 19, as we go further, how it manifested itself. Back to Abraham, trying to get to a number. Then Abraham answered, verse 27, and said, Indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? And so he said, if I find 45, I will destroy it. He can do the math. And he spoke to him yet again. Suppose there should be 40. I will do it for the sake of 40. Let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. Now, God, as a parent, what would you do at this point? Look, we're not going down this by fives. Let's just skip count. Let's get to it. But God is letting him come to his conclusion. What a great parent. He's letting him work it out. I got to let my kids work things out sometimes. It's like, yeah, 
That's right. I'll see, but we'll be driving, and Bo's a, Bo likes to talk, and we're on our way to McDonald's to get some chicken nuggets or something. And all of a sudden, he goes silent. I see him looking at him. You know how a kid, little, little kid face just kind of has that big cheeks, you know? Dad? Oh, boy, here it comes, you know? And he gives the question. And he's working stuff out in his mind. I can't think of a great example, but he'll see a bird and say, so how many birds are there? That's a good question. He says, there's got to be billions of birds. So then if it's the right time of year, you take them to go see the the Canadian geese or whatever, right, around here. It's like, man, there's clouds of them in the sky kind of thing. Man, Abraham's just trying to figure it out. He's getting something. Wait a minute. So if there's 50, you won't do it? He answered pretty quick. What about 45? 40? Hmm. How low can we go here? 30? If I find 30. Indeed, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Now, Abraham thinks his odds are improving. I'm going to get God to not go down there and do this. That's his heart. I don't want you to destroy. I don't want you to take them all out. Bo asked me, what is your favorite, what do you like about me the most, Dad? You know, little building up time. I said, well, I like your little compassionate heart. I said, you love animals. He's always thinking about the animals. He's out there feeding the squirrels, and I get the bird seeding. And, and, and we spend way too much money on animal food, by the way, just so you know. But he's out there, and he's pouring it out. And I said, go ahead and feed him. And he'll take that. He, the, I get the big bags. I thought I was getting the head, and he'll just dump the whole bag. It's like, oh, that was like a week's worth, I thought. Nope. Because the possums come in and they go, you don't need to hear all that. What's your favorite attribute about me, God? Not that I don't want to feed possums, whatever. They're ugly, but they need to eat, I guess. I said, it's your compassion. I like the way you feel about animals. And then he goes through all the kids. What about Evangeline? And I can't say what I said about her because she's sitting here and, and so on. We go through them all. Abraham has a heart here, and, and God likes it. That's why this conversation is going the way it goes. I like the way you're thinking, Abraham. Now, I don't mean to put words into God's mouth, but he is doing something here. I like the fact that you don't want to see the righteous hurt, that you don't want to see the innocent afflicted. I, don't, I like that. I, he probably doesn't like the way Abraham thinks of him. You think I am some big ogre up here waiting to squash people? Oops, I killed some good people too, you know? I don't like him thinking that way about me, but I like the way you're thinking about the little guy, the innocent, you know? So he gets down to a number that he thinks he can live with. Let not the Lord be angry and I will speak, but once more, suppose 10 should be found there. Now he's counting in his head. I've got Lot, I've got his wife, I've got his two daughters, I've got his other's two daughters that are married, and I've got those son-in-laws down there. That's eight. Certainly there's two. Certainly there's two. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. That's not how it goes. Ah. I better stop. There's no way we can get through all of chapter 19. We'll pick it up next week in chapter 19. Sorry, guys. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Abraham's heart. We thank you for your love for him, especially because that reflects your love for us. We know how you feel about us when we see you talking to him that way. 
We know that's how you feel about us, and we're thankful for that. But also, we thank you that you showed us his, well, his growth. From Abram, who left his wife to a harem in Egypt, seeing your protection and your love for him and wanting to draw out of him faith, to increase his faith. We thank you that you're willing to do that for us too. Tonight, God, we want to move closer to you, to have more trust in your word, to believe you more, faster, quicker, to have more reverence for you, more respect, more love, to have more love for those around us, God, to to not be focused on why doesn't God hurry up and just squash a bunch of people, but looking for reasons to find mercy, to have grace. So Lord, we thank you for the example we got tonight. Um, We love you. We respect you. We honor you. We worship you, Lord. You're worthy of it. Bless these folks as they go tonight, Lord. Help them to have a great rest of the week as they chew on your word and the things that were spoken of tonight in your word. And I pray that it would bear fruit. This chapter 18 would bear much fruit in our lives and help us to be men and women of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come on up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.